There's two very, very important components in America as it relates to the justice system, and that's crime control and due process. And I believe in both. But there has to be a balance of both. It has to be balanced because I agree when the crime control side has too much power. Yes, a lot of people can get hurt. A lot of people, you know, who can who probably could change, you know, probably get left in the weeds, you know, because you're so focused on crime control that you forget about actually rehabilitating people. And then you have the other side. If due process has too much power, you have power, you have what you have now. High crime, people telling police to back off. They're saying that police work basically is inherently racist, which is absolutely false. And here's what happens when due process has too much power. Friends and first-time D-Rate the Hate listeners, that was the voice of Dion Joseph, longtime LAPD police officer, law enforcement consultant, and nationally renowned public speaker on subjects like homelessness, public safety, and many other aspects of law enforcement. This is an incredible episode. Lots of value brought to the table by Dion. You surely don't want to miss a single minute of this episode. With that, let's cue the music. Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am Wilk from WilkesWorld.com, and this is going to be episode 68, where we sit down with Officer Dion Joseph, someone who day in and day out is doing things to better the world and better the lives of others. Now, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. It's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. What have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? It's up to each one of us as an individual to make the world a better place by making our lives a better life. Now, Officer Dion Joseph is a law enforcement consultant who has worked for the LAPD for over 25 years, 23 of those in downtown Los Angeles' Skid Row community. From patrolling the streets or providing a shoulder for the community to lean on, to meeting public figures and advocating for change, Dion is driven to create an environment conducive to change for the homeless and those trying to reclaim their lives from the grip of addiction. He is an honest, faithful, passionate, and caring man, traits he pours into his daily life and activities, and definitely traits that come out clearly in this conversation on the D-Rate Day podcast. Just to be clear, he is not speaking on behalf of the LAPD, but he has so much value to provide, and you definitely do not want to miss a minute of this great conversation. Let's get to it. Hello, Dion Joseph. Thank you for joining the D-Rate Hate Podcast. I greatly appreciate your time. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this, man. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dion, I've been following you for a while now on LinkedIn, and I, I see I see a lot of the stuff you're putting out. you got a great vibe. Uh, you got a great message. Uh, it's a message not only do I think the, the DTH listeners will appreciate, but it's a message that I think everybody needs to hear. And you, you're putting out so much important stuff. And unless somebody's been under a rock or in a coma for the past year, year and a half, one would have to notice that there's been huge increases, un- unprecedented increases in the amount of crime in most major cities in the United States uh, right now. And, and I think that's, that, that is a real crisis. And I, I think it's one that needs to be addressed. And, and I've heard you talk about it before. So as a law enforcement officer 
and I just want to be clear that you're not speaking on behalf of the LAPD, but as, as a law enforcement officer, a law enforcement consultant, and somebody who's spent more than two and a half decades patrolling the, one of the streets of one of our largest cities, Dion, what do you attribute this increase in crime to? How do you think it got started? I mean, it, you know, it's happening in, in the city in which you live. You know, I live outside of Minneapolis. Some claim that that's where it started that with the George Floyd thing. What do you, as a, as a law enforcement officer and a law enforcement consultant, attribute these increases in crime to? Well, a lot of people want to think it started with the whole uh, incident in Minneapolis, which we all agree was a tragedy and should never have happened. Uh, but I don't believe that's true. I think that was the incident that accelerated wh- where we are now. But we were well on our way, uh, especially in my state, probably since 2010. And in 2010, incrementally, we started seeing an erosion of public safety. They were slowly buying into the decarceration movement and selling it as, oh, we're going to just let these individuals out who are nonviolent. And over time, they started letting out the more violent ones without people knowing. And, uh, and then they got us to vote for it. Uh, I'll give you a little backstory on how, it's, how that all went down. In 2010, uh, uh, Governor then Jerry Brown uh, implemented something called non-revocable parole, which means uh, if a parolee violated their parole, anything short of murder, they would only do a few days in jail, but their parole would never be revoked. That started it. Then comes uh, 2011, where AB 109, Assembly Bill 109, which was a bill that was designed to empty the prison systems uh, from the state and put it on the backs of the probation department, or local probation departments. And these local probation departments were already stretched to the limit with, uh, with their previous caseloads. Now they had to deal with the new state cases uh, and what they did was they gave them these flimsy ankle bracelets and told them to be good. And uh, they just cut them off and went out there and started uh, breaking the law and committing other crimes like property crimes and whatnot. And then what added insult to injury or what made it worse was they had to check in at a kiosk. They didn't even have to be supervised by a agent. All they had to do was show up and swipe a card into a machine and you've checked in and you're doing good. But a kiosk doesn't know that you have three ounces of cocaine in your pocket. A kiosk doesn't know that you just raped a woman on the way or stabbed somebody in a tent. They have no idea. So that's where the uh, the dam started to break. Then comes 2014, where they misled voters with a proposition called Prop 47, and they titled it the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. Now, if I wasn't a police officer and I heard that, you know, most voters, we don't read the fine print. We just see Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act, and we just vote for it because I believe Californians, they vote with the best of intentions, but they don't read the fine print. But being a police officer, understanding the mindset of the criminal element, how if you give the criminal element one inch, they're going to take three yards. Guess what? They were going to take full advantage of it. And I knew that these programs that they were talking about were not going to come to fruition. And I also knew that there's not going to be this windfall of savings. In fact, uh, they didn't save much of anything. So what Prop 47 did was it turned a lot of serious crimes into non-serious crimes, like felons. uh, Certain felonies got turned into misdemeanors which means that a lot of these individuals that we sent back to jail were not going to do any time, if at all. And it also created a lever to release former felons who committed crimes that were now committed misdemeanor, now considered misdemeanors to be released as well into the streets. And we've started seeing an erosion of 13 years of crime reduction as a result. Then it comes its evil step cousin, Prop 57. I thought the California voters had enough of Prop 47 because a lot of the same people who voted for it called me the Gestapo for telling them not to. We're now coming to me saying, I I think we were wrong. 
But now they started, they've actually voted into law Prop 57, which was worse. Prop 57 turns violent crimes into nonviolent crimes. So let me ask you a question. I'm sure you have a, a, a sister or a cousin or a female family member that you love with all your heart or Absolutely. even a male member. Let's say that you they go on a date and someone puts a date rape drug in their drink and then drags them to their apartment and sexually assault them while they're unconscious. Do you believe that's a violent crime? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I believe. Yes. Under Prop 57, that is no longer a violent crime to sexually assault a woman who's under the influence of GHB who got dated. Okay, this is a real thing. If you and I were sitting in a room and someone walks in with an AK-47 and starts spraying the room and everybody else in it, and by the grace of God, he didn't hit anyone, would you consider that a violent crime? That's pretty damn violent. That's pretty violent. Under Prop 57, because no one got hurt, basically, he gets slapped on a wrist, probably doesn't do uh, too much jail time, and he gets released pretty early. So that's what that law did. So that also pulled a lever that released more criminals. And made it impossible for us to send a lot of these individuals back. There were mechanisms in the law that made it very difficult for us to send those guys back. So then what happened was the pandemic. The mm -hmm. pandemic hit and they had these stay in place laws. And uh, especially in Skid Row, they didn't work out very well because the criminal element in Skid Row were staying in place. And they were continuing to rob and victimize and, uh, and hurt people, in, and homeless people in Skid Row. And then came the horror that we saw in Minneapolis with the George Floyd incident. And unfortunately, that accelerated that movement as politicians began to buy off on the justice reform narrative uh, that BLM and Antifa was selling to pander to them because that's where the winds were blowing. And as a result, they chose criminals over cops, vilified cops, and criminals started running amok. And now they had the green light to do. They discovered they had the green light to do what they wanted to do and now had basically the support of politicians who were protecting them and even bailing them out of jail when they committed crimes. So yeah. that's where we are today, uh, and not just in California, but we see, we're seeing it in Chicago, Philadelphia, where a lot of these very progressive uh, district attorneys are. Uh, we have one now whose whole worldview is we need to decarcerate, but he has not in his whole entire campaign and in the whole few months he's been in office, he hasn't made one mention of public safety or helping victims, not right. one. Right. But he's vocalized proudly that he wants to decarcerate so what are you going to do with those individuals when they get out? So we got 76,000 in inmates that are about to be released uh, by the governor, many of them violent criminals. What are you going to do right. with them when they reoffend? So no, that's I've, where we are today. It, it's, a, it's a travesty, beyond that politicians think that by, by changing the wording and changing the narrative through the language, that they can somehow make a violent act somehow nonviolent. I mean, we, we hear things that, you know, it makes me think about the the broken window theory. It's it's something that I've talked about before in previous podcasts. It's talk, you know, I've talked about it with previous guests. You know, the broken window theory. Somebody breaks a window in a in a neighborhood and leaves it broken, and they think, oh, well, it's just a broken window. Well, whatever. You know, now that broken window, pretty soon it's not just a broken window, but it's a broken down car, a car on blocks in the in the front of the house. And then it's, you know, nobody's mowing their lawn. And then everybody on the block just quits giving or paying any mind. It's a little of this. It turns and a little into a crack house. Yeah. Until, it's, until yeah. it turns into a crack house. And now you've got, you know, street walkers walking up and down the road. And it all started with a broken window. And who thinks about a broken window? But when you, right. when you decriminalize the small things and try to change the language and make people believe that 
well, it's just a little of this. It's just a little of that. Well, now just a little of this and just a little of that turns into a lot more than just a little of this, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you don't deal with the small things, it encourages the bigger thing. We've proved that over and over again. Uh, we had an initiative that we engaged in from 2005 to 2011 where the broken windows theory was actually implemented, implemented and it worked. It reduced crime by 40%. It reduced death, not just homicides, but even uh, non-homicidal deaths by 30, 33%. Uh, so the broken windows theory did work. Let me explain it to, to the general public if you don't understand. Uh, if you did, if they didn't understand your analogy, I'll make this one very, very clear. If you go to somebody's house, whether they live in Watts, California, or Beverly Hills, and there's dirty diapers on the floor, there's boogers on the wall, there's Captain Crunch everywhere, there's uh, sanitary napkins, there's trash cans overflowing, you don't feel too bad blowing your nose on the floor or putting your feet up on the coffee table. But if you go to somebody's house, whether they're in Compton or they're in the Palisades, and there's not a speck of dust, everything's shiny, there's lavender fabuloso in the air. That is my favorite. I mean, my God. I'm supposed to <laughs> nice. And, 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 and you hear, you see that, you respect that so much that you don't even want to put your feet on the coffee table. And that's what we were trying to do with Skid Row. We were trying to keep the criminal element from not just putting their feet on a, co a coffee table, but sea walking on top of it and preying on the most vulnerable in our society. And it actually worked. It actually helped get people into drug programs. It helped separate the wolves from the sheep so the service providers can help the sheep get better. Like I said, my mantra is to create an environment conducive to change so that the influence of those service, service providers or any social service can have a stronger uh, influence on the community than the criminal element. And if we could do that, we can stop half of these problems that we're seeing out in the streets. We have to stop politicizing police work and we have to get back to the basics. Such an important point, Dion. Again, like, I, like I've said before, uh, the message that you're putting out there is so important. And, and we see those in the media. We see those in, in our government. Those with the loudest voices uh, are often the ones that, you know, as they change the narrative, it reverses course on many of the common sense things that you're talking about. And they mm -hmm. they think that somehow they can create some crazy utopia and this this beautiful land just by by saying it so. But but yeah, when yeah. in all actuality, what it's really doing is it's hurting the people that they claim to be helping. Isn't that right? Well, absolutely. They're repeating the same rhetoric over and over again. And what they do is see. So here's the thing. I know most people don't agree with the loudmouths that are getting their way. The problem is the people who should be coming against them and filling up the commission meetings and city council meetings, unfortunately, they have jobs. They have kids. They have businesses to run. They have a nine to five. Our detractors who are the loudest mouths, but really technically a very small group of people, that's their job. That's what they do. Some of them are even funded by the government to <laughs> circumvent the government. It's crazy. Mm. So that's literally their job to go out there and disrupt, take over meetings and give the uh, appearance. It's called political theater. Give the appearance that all these communities want police abolished. They want police uh, uh, defunded. Uh, they want the homeless to be able to do whatever, whatever they want to do. And unfortunately, the voices that need to be heard, they're too busy to consistently challenge that narrative. So, uh, yeah, you're right. That's what we're up against. And all they do is they do exactly like uh, Adolf Hitler did, not saying that they're Adolf Hitler who are murdering people, but they tell a lie for the layman. They keep it simple for the layman and repeat that phrase over and over again until everybody believes it. And that's where we are. And unfortunately, because they've taken over the microphone, taken over the stage, taken over the meetings, now over time, even politicians who are educated and should know better, 
they begin to fall for it. Also, they fall for it faster when they know that now these groups have money and they have the power to unseat them. So now you have politicians who become cowards and they uh, capitulate to these uh, groups thinking, oh, it's not so bad. Maybe what maybe their plans might work. But unfortunately, it's created a disaster that it may be very difficult for us to all pull ourselves out of if we don't start pushing back. So important. You're speaking the words that everybody needs to hear, Deanna. And I I tell you what, it's awesome. If you want to make anything, whether it's a business, whether it's a social service provider, a school, a program for you thrive, public safety, it has to be safe to do so. And we're finding out that when you're removing the police from the equation, not saying we're the answer, we're part of an overall answer working cohesively together with other entities. But when you take us out of the equation, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. No question about it. A a strong police force is most definitely the backbone of uh, of a civil society. And and we've seen far too often where people these days are are talking about the defund the police movement, get rid of the police force. Uh, They're demonizing the police. What do you think is the answer? What can the everyday person, what can the listeners of the D-Rate They Hate podcast do to support the police, get out there and, and, and change the minds of those who think that defunding the police is the right answer? Well, here's what you need to do. Uh, several things. You need to vote out any politician who's not, who doesn't have public safety as a number one priority as, as part of their agenda. And when I say public safety, don't fall for these guys who are like safety officers or safety patrols and all. You don't fall for these buzzwords. If they're not talking about fighting crime, and, and stopping it by trying to stop it by any legal means necessary, you vote them, you run them out of office. Because if they're not talking about that, they're part of this dangerous criminal justice reform movement. Somebody's in their pockets. Somebody's pushing their buttons. Somebody's making them say things that absolutely make no sense. And they know it makes no sense. And they're watching their cities burns and they're watching crime. And they're even lying and, 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 and reclassifying and saying, oh, no, crime is actually down. If you look at it from this thing, this way, this way. No, we don't need to look at it in a nuanced way. Open your front door. Look out, look what's happening in your neighborhood. Your neighbor's car got burglarized. Turn on your ring or your citizen alert and see how often it's now ringing and pinging every time you turn on your phone. You have to shut the dang thing off because it's getting so bad out there. That's the truth. That's the truth. It's called crime control. Okay. There's two very, very important components in America as it relates to the justice system. And that's crime control and due process. And I believe in both. But there has to be a balance of both. It has to be balanced because I agree when the crime control side has too much power. Yes, a lot of people can get hurt. A lot of people, you know, who can who probably could change, you know, probably get left in the weeds, you know, because you're so focused on crime control that you forget about actually rehabilitating people. And then you have the other side. If due process has too much power, you have power, you have what you have now. High crime, people telling police to back off. They're saying that police work basically is inherently racist, which is absolutely false. And here's what happens when due process has too much power. The people start to fall. Uh Neighborhoods uh start to fall. Businesses start to fall. Your kids school. They can't even walk home from school without getting officer offered uh, cocaine, meth or spice. Drive by shootings happen all over the place. Innocent people get hurt and it hurts your economy in the end. So once again, once again, I'm not saying police policing is the answer. You know, like I said, I'm not a guy who's pro-incarceration. I'm not about crime and punishment, but what I am about is holding criminals accountable and giving uh, communities relief from individuals who refuse to stop committing crimes. And that means is if there's somebody uh, employing minors to sell drugs in your neighborhood, 
there's a section in California that says it's called about 11353.5, I think, HNS, uh, health of the Health and Safety Code. That person is supposed to do three years for employing a minor. All I want to do is see them do three years so that community has three years of relief. If somebody's committing violent crimes, if you rape somebody and you're supposed to do 10 years, you should do 10 years or at least most of it so that person, that victim doesn't have to worry about getting violated again or anybody else that person might see as a, a victim as they're walking down the street. That's how I see the justice system. Not that I want to punish people or take away someone's freedoms. I take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. But if you do the crime, if you're man enough to do the crime or woman enough to do the crime, you got to be grown enough to do the damn time. We mm-hmm. have to get back to that or we're going to lose our society. It's not about being in love with prisons. It's about keeping people safe in a common sense way. And programs, I'm sorry, programs without uh, the policing involved as well will fail every single time. Right. So let's go back to when we talked about basically making crimes less, uh, well, uh, decreasing the standards. You know, one of the things that we've seen recently here in Minnesota is they said that, you know, such and such a, a uh, state representative was pulled over because he didn't have a front license plate on his car. Well, in the mm-hmm. state of Minnesota, you're supposed to have two license plates on your car. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. pulled over when I moved up here from the state of Florida. State of Florida only requires one license plate on the back of the car. I didn't have a front mm-hmm. license plate on the front of my avalanche. I got pulled over. I'm mm-hmm. obviously not a black guy. So it had nothing to do with race. It had to do with the fact mm-hmm. that I didn't have a license plate on the front of my car. We talked mm-hmm. about the uh, the increasing the threshold for, for what the amount of theft that, that causes crime uh, or, mm-hmm. or not, not causes crime, but the increasing the threshold for the amount that has to be stolen before it's considered a crime. They talked about, uh, you know, we're not going to start, we're not going to pull people over anymore for uh, a, a broken taillight or, or non-working uh, brake lights, uh, things like that. We're just going to send them a ticket in the mail. Well, you know, that doesn't pass constitutional muster, just like red light cameras don't pass constitutional muster. And a lot of times as a police officer, I'm sure you can testify to the fact that when you pull somebody over because they have a broken taillight or they don't have a front license plate, or maybe they got a stolen license plate, or they've got something else wrong with their car. A lot of times that's where you're finding the people that are actually committing crimes because let's face it, they're the ones that are ignoring the things that are going wrong with their vehicle. Am I right? Or Well, they're, they're, some of those guys are the ones, very ones transporting the guns and drugs. So when you have people like Chelsea Bolin in San Francisco, who's saying we don't want officers stopping people for that. You basically what you said to the cartel was, look, <laughs> You can drive up in California. You're not going to be stopped. You could have 10 kilos of cocaine in your car, AK-47s, and you won't be stopped. Look, every time I pulled somebody over in a car, for the most part, 98% of the time of all the people, I, when I pulled them over, I pulled them over just for the violation, for the broken taillight, for the uh, shattered windshield, for the running the stop sign. What happens is when I get to the car and I start seeing things that cause my spidey senses to, <laughs> to raise up, when I see you know, that you have... Uh, white powder under your nose that shows me that you might be under the influence of cocaine okay when i see a crack pipe on the floorboard that means oh, there could be crack in there when i see a scale in the back of your car with 99 ziploc baggies in the, in the back of your car <laughs> when i see those things that's telling me that now i've went from someone simply running a stop sign now I'm, I'm dealing with something more serious somebody who needs to be investigated 
and probably needs to be taken off the streets if I find what I believe is that I'm going to find based on the uh, reasonable suspicion or probable cause provided to me. So you want officers being proactive like that. You want, all, we don't do that to everybody. Some people, I hate the term criminalize. Oh, you're criminalizing people. We can't criminalize you. The only way I criminalize you is if I plant dope on you, if I plant a gun on you. And that's a very, very negative exception of any profession, okay? But I can't criminalize you. You criminalize yourself because you didn't hide it good enough, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, you didn't hide the fact that you, uh, you know, you were a little drunk. You know, you forgot to put visine or visine in your eyes when I pulled you over and your speech was slurred. You're giving me probable cause to do what I need to do, and a good cop will be able to develop that. Don't punish me for being a squared away, sharp police officer who's looking for ways to keep dangerous dangerous people off the street. Right. I'm being punished just for being a cop, and that's wrong. Right. That, that, I, was, I think that was celebrated once. That was celebrated once. I It's still celebrated today, Dion. Don't don't fool yourself. There's a lot more of us out here that celebrate the good cops than there are that are, are demonizing the bad cops. Uh, you know, and, and quite honestly, you and I will both agree on this. The cops that are bad, the cops that are doing those <clears throat> those negative things and 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 giving all y'all a bad name that that are doing the right thing. They do need to be demonized. But they are not representative of the the overall police population. I've personally known a lot of law enforcement officers over the course of my life, and I'm proud to have known them. I'm proud to know them today, and uh, great people, great people doing great things. And and there's no way that we can let the loudest voices, and the loudest voices are generally those that are so negative, trying to separate us all, trying to put us all in boxes and, and, and keep us separated, labels. Yeah. And not. Well, that, that's that, that's identity politics. And, uh, yep. you know, and that's yep. uh, one of the most e evil men in the 20th century. We all can agree. Mm -hmm. was probably Adolf Hitler, you know, mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Me, me, saying, me, me saying what I'm about to say is not giving him a compliment. I'm being honest. Even though he's one of the most evil men in the 20th century, he also understood human nature like nobody's business. And here's how. Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler knew that you could bring people together for a cause faster using hate than you can with love and understanding. Let me explain. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Gandhi, they tried to help people with love and understanding. What happened to them? They're dead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, they died mm -hmm. long before they should have. But uh, Hitler knew that all I had to do was spread a vicious lie, a vicious rumor. He said this, tell a lie, keep it simple, and repeat it over and over again until everybody believes it. That's how he manipulated the German people into, into dehumanizing the Jewish people, which led to the death of 6 million Jews and 4 million others. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, there are different groups that use that same propaganda. Now, they're not as dangerous as Hitler. I'm not comparing Black Lives Matter and Antifa to Hitler. But what I'm saying is they're using the same kind of tactics where back in the 80s, what was they said about black men? You know, they said, oh, all black men are criminal. All, and everywhere I went, somebody was clutching their purse or, you know, hiding their wallet from me because or, or following me in the store because of that that propaganda. Then comes where we're at now. All cops hate minorities. I call cops hate minorities. All cops are engaged in systemic racism. Even if they're not racist, they're racist by default because they're working in a racist system. And you repeat this over and over again to these young college students who are now getting jobs and supervision positions, ended up in politics, and they maintain this indoctrination. You keep repeating that over and over. They're going to start believing it. And mm -hmm. they're going to start pushing their will. And they're teaching these kids. They're indoctrinating these young folks. Uh, to emotionally attack every issue without thinking objectively. Mm -hmm. You have to come from a place of emotion. And from mm -hmm. a place of emotion, 
you can push people to do anything. You can even push politicians to buy into what you're selling. Mm-hmm. That's how Hitler mm-hmm. pushed the Germans to kill 6 million Jews. So that's what's happening now with law enforcement. They're taking the negative exception, which does, it, which does exist. They, they do exist. I've had to report misconduct twice in my department, and I didn't lose a damn bit of sleep about it because here's a little secret, folks. We hate bad cops, too, because when mm-hmm. they get fired, retire, or get indicted, they're gone, right? But we're left to deal with the fallout, right? We hate them, too. But you got to understand this, and I want to simplify this for you. Police officers are just human beings. Our job is as, as, as unpredictable as humanity is. We are a microcosm of society, which means, look, you and I probably agree that the majority of Americans across this country, whether they're black, white, gay, straight, Asian, Filipino, Subpoena, uh, uh, Samoan, uh, Mexican, Canadian, you know, whether they're Christians, Jews, Muslims, even devil worshipers, atheists, the majority of us in America in all of those groups together are decent people. I think we can agree with that. And if you don't, you got to get off social media and go shake hands with your neighbor. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Because <laughs> yeah. social media, please watch the social social dilemma. It's a great uh, film, but it, it's the truth. Social media is destroying us. But anyway, but we also have to be realized that out of 333 wonderful people, 33 million wonderful people, there is a negative exception that's in the hundreds of thousands, if not the low millions, that's causing all the havoc, creating all the drama, getting all the ratings on social media, all the uh, uh, sponsors from the news and all that good stuff. And it makes it look like the world is a rolling dumpster fire. So we agree that those exist mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Now, where do law enforcement agencies recruit from? The American public. And I can assure you that the vast majority of individuals they recruit, no matter what color they are, whether they're white, black, women, men, gay, straight, whatever, are good, hardworking people who want to do the right thing. That's a promise. I would not lie to you. And of course, your mouth to God's ears. That's that's an absolute fact. I I talk about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, the negative exception is going to get on. And unfortunately, when they rear their head, we pay for it. But what I need the public to do is stop painting officers with a broad brush. And here's why. Because you don't do the same thing to doctors. You don't do the same thing to the military. And you don't do things with teachers. And why do I bring up those three examples? It's very important. Because these are individuals with people's lives and minds in their hands. Let me explain. In one year, doctors killed 250,000 individuals due to malice, malpractice, and accidents. Okay? Many of those people that were killed were people of color. Nobody's talking about defunding doctors. Somewhere in America, a doctor misused a scalpel, but nobody's taking away a doctor's scalpel. But somewhere in America, right now as we speak, for real, for real, somebody, they just took some officer's OC spray. So now that's one less thing they get to grab before having to go to their firearm. That's one less thing they could use to prevent shooting somebody. Now you've taken away from them because some cop misused pepper spray on a traffic stop with a uh, army veteran. Okay, let's talk about the military. I love anybody who puts on a uniform and defends this country. I have nothing but honor and respect for you. My dad was a veteran. All that great stuff, I respect you. But let's not pretend that there was a negative section of the military that did catastrophic horrible things to individuals in the name of war. Let's not pretend that doesn't exist. And teachers, love teachers to death. I have a sister-in-law who's a teacher. She's great. I have an auntie who's a teacher. Most teachers are great. I still send my kids to school. But let's not pretend there's not that negative exception that will sleep with your, uh, that, that slept with 28 first graders. That actually happened. Let's not pretend there wasn't a teacher that fed his bodily excrements to seventh graders. That actually happened. These things are seven-year-olds, I'm sorry, that, or who's diddling your 16-year-old daughter because he thinks she's hot. Mm-hmm. These people exist, but nobody's talking about defunding or abolishing teachers. You're still sending your kids to the doctor. You're still joining the military. You're still supporting the military, and you're still sending your kids to school. 
So why do it to cop? Because tag, you're it. Every movement needs a villain. And who's the best villain in the world? The guy with the vest, the badge, and the gun. Mm-hmm. Because that's mm-hmm. the big bad person who can take away your freedoms. And you can use that to twist it any way you want. And people are doing it. And they're, be, they're very successful at it. But it's coming at a cost because the very people they say they're trying to protect, which is people of color, the lives they're trying to save, they're the ones getting it the most through crime. Right, right. Yeah, it's such an important and, and insightful point that you make there uh, about how it's it's very selective as to what people are. Uh, I call it selective outrage, and and you and I Absolutely. both agree. I, I call I call social media and and big media a, a dumpster fire full of lies, misinformation, and hate because that it, that is that's what we get most of the time on social media. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. it it does a small amount of good. But I think there's a lot of bad out there, and and I think that's unfortunate. Now, Dion, yeah, there's there's one last thing that I I, I want to talk to you about because I, I saw you you posted a video on it recently within the past day or two, and and that was so important as well. And pretty much everything you're saying is is so important, and I think every American needs to hear it. But the events of January sixth, and you had some very insightful points on this as well. The the events of January sixth have been politicized to the point uh, of ridiculousness in my book. And while it was a tragedy, and it, it no doubt was a tragedy, there were people hurt. But to, to call it an insurrection, and, and, and there have been politicians out there and, and media figures out there that have tried to compare this to the worst thing that's ever happened in the United States. They've called it worse than 9-11. They've called it worse mm-hmm. than Pearl Harbor. What do you say to those and there are a few officers that have recently come out and and they're they're pointing fingers and things like that. And God bless them. I mean, my heart goes out to everybody that was hurt that day. But the reality is, is this was this was nothing more than a, a, a large mob of, of very stupid people doing very stupid things with sticks and maybe a few rocks and a fire extinguisher. But it's not an insurrection where people were trying to take over the country seriously. And what do you have to say to those that that try to make this out to be worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than 9-11, place yeah. where, you know, hundreds of first responders were killed and, and the country was brought to its knees in any number of ways. Yeah. Well, anytime uh, uh, political figures do that, it, it, it makes me literally, I get nauseated. You know, during 9-11, we had, I think, uh, 3,000 people die, lose their mm-hmm. life. You know, I think we only had a couple people die during the uh, uh, riots at uh, January 6th, uh, which is still horrible. And of course, we all agree. I, I want everybody who was involved in that who broke a law to go to prison for as long as, as legally allowed. I do, because I watched that. And I was like, I don't care what side you're on, whether you're li- right or left. You don't do that. That was wrong. And they did mm-hmm. put people in danger. But in the end, most of those senators and people who were there were whisked away to safety and they weren't harmed. So no, it wasn't 9-11. What bothers me about that, that lasted a few hours. It was one day and that was it. What bothers me the most is that for months upon months upon months, you had rioters flying in from other states. When these guys got arrested for burning down cities all across America, we found that they weren't even from our state. They were hired to come out here and do a lot of damage because basically their mindset was, if I'm from another state, they can't prosecute me. Well, it it ended up being true. They wouldn't prosecute them and they released them the next day. So across the the country, uh, hundreds of officers were hurt. People were killed. People were shot. People's businesses were burned down. Their hopes and dreams were destroyed. 
destroyed by these rioters. Uh, and I'm not saying all the protesters were rioters, you know, but there was a good chunk. You know, what used to piss me off was I would see a reporter saying, oh, this is mostly a peaceful protest with a damn car burning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, really, dude? You're sitting here lying right to our face. You're gaslighting us. So what made me mad was that not only did they not call for a congressional hearing on that, during that time, they set up funds to bail these individuals, our own vice president. Our own vice president set up funds to try to help bail these individuals out so they could continue to harm cops and burn businesses because they thought, oh, what's the reckoning? Oh, that, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, no, no, no. These officers deserve it. Oh, but you know, I have people who come to me, come at me and say, Joseph, well, it wasn't a federal thing. I'm sorry. Some of the most some of their primary targets of uh, a lot of these groups were federal buildings. We had some of our officers get hurt trying to protect a federal building. You had federal officers in Portland getting blinded with lasers in their eyes. Yes, their target mm -hmm. was anything federal. So mm -hmm. uh, I want to see a congressional hearing on that. I will take that hearing seriously. I might even watch a little bit more of it when I see a hearing on, and, uh, on what Black Lives, uh, the negative exception of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all those folks did. Uh, when I see that, I'll take it seriously because that was wrong and those people need to be put away as well. So uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I believe in equity. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's where I that's where I sure, believe in it. Sure. Just just because these individuals are mostly white and Republican, uh, you, you can't do that. You you cannot fry them. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what side of the aisle they are. If they break the law, if they hurt a cop, if they hurt a civilian, if they don't obey lawful orders, if they damage property, they're supposed to pay a price. They're that's supposed to pay right. a price. And I want to see that with all of my heart. Yeah, the it, it seems like a lot of these uh, these politicians. I know it's cliche to say it, but. You know, if it weren't for double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. And and uh, I think, you know, I think I think that it's so unfortunate that see, I, I'm a person, too, who who believes that it makes no difference. I believe in equality. I believe in equity. But you can't change the language to make equality and equity mean what you want it to mean. And you can't exactly. only put it in place when it benefits you and, and your cause. Yeah but then completely mm -hmm. ignore it in other respects. So your insight on the, the double standard when it comes to all the riots and all the businesses that were burned. I mean, again, I, I'm, you know, I live outside of Minneapolis and I drive down uh, to Minneapolis and drive through Minneapolis for work uh, occasionally. And to see the businesses that were burned and to see all the property that was destroyed and the livelihoods that, that can never be recaptured, because of the lawlessness and then mm -hmm. and then to see the politicians that just ignore it and let it let it go by the wayside but then the the, the first ones out there screaming from the podium uh when it's when it's people that uh may or may not have been from the other side or or may have been you know people that that supported somebody they don't like it's a huge yeah. uh, it's a huge travesty it's a huge travesty to the human race as, as far as i'm concerned yeah. it's a yeah, and this is why people are losing faith in the system. Uh, you know, yep. uh, e even Democrats. Look, I'm a registered Democrat, but I'm so tired of the Democratic Party right now. Mm -hmm. I, I can't stop. I don't recognize them. I, I'm part of the Kennedy Democrats. Ask not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country. Yeah, yeah we yeah. want to help the poor. We want to help people in need. Uh, we, we want to fix some a lot of systemic problems. But at the end, at the end of the day, you have to obey the law. You have to do it. There's a lot of things that you have to do, too. Those days are gone. I don't mm -hmm. know who these people are. So now I've kind of moved away in my heart to an independent. I'm an independent now in heart. And I'm going to make it official pretty soon. I'm, I'm hoping to do that very soon. When I get some time, but I, I cannot stomach this version of the Democratic Party. And I'm not saying that Republicans are the answer, 
But in my heart, I, I am hoping for a red wave uh, because what because of what my former party has has adopted. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Republicans are the answer. They have some failures they have to answer for too. You know, they have a lot of failures they have to answer for too. But mm-hmm. like I said, it's kind of like, okay, we need to hold the dam on the on the right side, or just let the floodgates open and let our country fall apart with this new version of the Democratic Party, and, and which is sad because I, I'm a centrist. And I have to be honest, uh, they're fa- they're the ones failing us right now. They're the ones oh. in control. And in every United States city where they have control, and I'm sure there's a couple of red states too, but for the most part where there's a dominant Democratic leadership, we're seeing high crime, we're seeing poverty. How do you put, throw $1.2 billion at homelessness in the state of California, uh, in Southern California, and it got worse? How do you do that? Right. Because you can't throw... you. You can't throw money at every situation. It's not about money most of the time. It's methodology. Basically, you save more money when you are allowing us to do our jobs than the money you're wasting right now uh, in just throwing it away uh, on an issue that cannot be solved because you're forgetting the most important variable as it relates to solving homelessness. Of course, we know that housing plus homeless person is equals an end to homelessness. But to forget that variable, that's the will of the individual, their state of addiction. What are they addicted to? What's keeping them anchored to the sidewalk? If you don't fix that, if you don't provide mandatory programs, most of these individuals aren't going to get housed. So the only reasonable answer is, yes, build housing, but for the most part, shelter. So there's an option for them to sleep. So they're going to sleep on the sidewalk and destroy themselves and, and destroy others. Uh, that, that That's a common sense solution right there. Right. I mean, that's it's the definition of insanity is continue doing things over and over that you know, you know, that don't work. You know, politicians are very good at that. They spend all their time causing problems and then make a job out of trying to fix the problems that they created. Uh, right. And you can't, yeah. you well, know, this yeah. as well as, as anybody being uh, with your background in, in law enforcement and especially background working on Skid Row, that you can't throw all that money to try and placate the symptoms of a problem without trying to actually address the cause of the problem. And and right. we know uh, mental health and addiction, you know, a, as you alluded to earlier, it's got nothing to do with the, the lack of housing or the lack of opportunity for good jobs. It's It really comes down to the mental health and the drugs and the, and the, the crime that's associated with the mental health and the drugs and, and the things that are, are, are associated with it. And until they until they address those issues, Dion, you you and I both know that the system yeah, does yeah. not get better. We just spend more money trying to placate the symptoms of a bad system. What they do is they they start the fire and show up as a fireman and they use gasoline as water to put the fire out. That's what they're doing. And it's never going to stop until the real systemic failures we need to fix, until those things get fixed, like you said, mental illness. I mean, they literally think someone who's mentally ill and dual diagnosis, that means they're paranoid schizophrenic extremely and they're also on crack. They think that they're going to help those individuals in 72 hours or less when they're threatening to kill themselves or kill or threatening to kill somebody else. That's false because it takes six weeks for them to even benefit from their medication. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you got to mm-hmm. detox them first. So what do you think releasing them in 24 hours is going to do? You're just creating a revolving door. Some of these programs are getting thousands of dollars for just bringing those people in. They don't want to solve the problem. They do not want to solve the problem. And that's why we need to get rid of any politician who is not who is not talking about this, who mm-hmm. is not talking about uh, bringing back crime control and uh, allowing police to be part of the solution and bringing back mandatory drug treatment. OK, that's necessary. Look, Prop 36 
was a mandatory drug program. We'd arrested you for a felony for possessing rock cocaine, but we didn't send you to prison. You know, you did a couple of months in jail. And then when you got out, you know, you got cleaned up, you got out, you were mandated to go to a program. Now, did mm-hmm. that program succeed for the most part? No. But guess what? A lot of people did benefit from it uh, because now there's teeth in the laws and there was somebody holding you accountable. Now there's zero accountability. And now people who were, weren't mentally ill before they got hooked on drugs are now able to use drugs for long periods of time without, without pause. All they get is a traffic ticket and they don't have to go to a program. And then eventually they become mentally ill over using drugs for a long time or vice versa. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, until we get common sense lawmakers back into our uh, political offices, there are three things that need to happen in my opinion. And I'm not even scared to be vocal about this. Uh, we need to get rid of our current district attorney, uh, George Gascon, uh, you know, that's our problem child uh, in Los Angeles. In, in uh, you know, uh, yeah, Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. He's got to go. Okay. We got to get rid of Newsom. I initially thought this guy was going to beat the recall, but recently he just said in an interview, yeah, we can we can take on homelessness. We already have a homeless problem. What's wrong with you? Why would you say something like that? <laughs> well, what's wrong with you? Right. You know, here's a, you know, you've got a homeless problem. You want to bring in more homeless. OK, you, you got a crime problem and you, you literally said we're not going back to the 80, 90 styles of crime control uh, and you're going to release 76,000 uh, inmates. That doesn't make sense. So if you got politicians like this, and this is across the country, if you're hearing my voice, fight like an animal, not literally, okay? I don't want anybody saying Deion Johnson told me to go fight somebody, but literally get into the, the, that voter booth, get together with other people, create coalitions, and, and, and first of all, go challenge these leaders. And if they will not listen to you, okay, get them out of office before you lose your city. Mm-hmm. Get them out of office. Yep, and as you, as you said earlier, Dion, as California goes, a lot of the country goes, and and we yeah. we as a nation have have seen far too often, and our public voting system now shows it that that not only do the the larger cities, the larger metropolitan areas around the country, not only are many of them failing in in regards to crime and and uh, homelessness and things like that, but they're also the areas that are, are really guiding our, our national political spectrum is is so heavily weighted to our large metropolitan areas. So uh, it, yeah. it's it's rough. It, it's it's a tough uh, road to hoe for for all of us who who want to see things get better. It, it's it's especially tough when social media and, and the you know big tech and big media give the loudest voices to those who are who are trying to divide us. I love your your message, Dion. The things that you're doing out there are certainly doing wonders for all the people who follow you, and everybody that gets an opportunity to speak to you is is certainly it's it's certainly been a privilege for me uh, to speak to you on the Derate the Eight podcast. Your your message is such an important one. The, the things that you're doing for the people of this country, the things that you've done over your over your long career in law enforcement, uh, the things that you've done for for the people on on Skid Row there in Los Angeles. It's all to be commended, and God bless you for it. Uh, you know, keep it up, my friend, and and I hope that uh, I hope that we get an opportunity to speak again. It, it, this has been great. Uh, I've enjoyed our conversation, and uh, just keep on doing what you're doing, man. It's awesome. It's awesome. I will. I will. I appreciate that, and it was a pleasure sitting down and talking with you. And uh, hopefully, I can come back and expand expand even a little more. So, you guys, take care. Be safe, everybody, and please. Be careful who and what you vote for. If they're not talking about public safety right now, 
don't vote for them. And if, and if they're in office, get them out and put people in there who are going to actually care about you and your safety. You take care, sir. Thanks for having me. Friends, I have to ask, did you catch all of that greatness? There is a lot of good that came out of this conversation with Officer Dion Joseph. This man is a great guy, a great guest, and an unbelievable public servant that has done so much good. This is a man that's been referred to as the angel of Skid Row. He has been working with the homeless, working with those who suffer from mental illness. He has been devoting his whole adult life to bettering the lives of other people and taking care of the public safety, devoting his life to the public safety of the people of Los Angeles. Such a phenomenal guest, somebody who is most definitely doing everything he can to better the world. That's what we love here at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, and I'm so grateful for having had the opportunity to speak with Dion Joseph. Check him out, DionJoseph.org. Check out his work. He is a phenomenal man, and uh, I I am privileged to have had the opportunity to speak with him. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Get out there. Be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember that it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. I am Wilk from WilkesWorld.com. Email me, Wilk at WilkesWorld.com. Subscribe wherever you get your audio. Leave us some feedback. And uh, make sure you share us with your friends. I'm back on out of here. Catch you next week.